All right, we're back. It's been a month or so. Um, a lot of things have changed. Uh, it's the Sneaky Good Podcast. I've lost count of which episodes this is, but that's okay. Um, don't have the full crew tonight. Poster's got a fever. Thoughts and prayers to our man, Poster. Hope he gets better. Um, so it's just me, Zachary Junda. We got PK, as always, in the recording booth. Um, and we got Max, the smartest man when it comes to LSU football. Hello, Max. It's been a while. Really? Is that, is, is that true? Like... Are, are, are there any other candidates for that? The smartest man? Like, are, are you sure? Yeah, it's you. Yeah, dude. Okay. I love your stuff. Uh, if you don't read Max's stuff, read his stuff. He, he can break down film like no others. Um, Max, I since I, I have actually been on since uh, Brian Kelly was hired at LSU. Um, if you'll permit me a couple minutes just to give my thoughts on the Brian Kelly hire. Yeah, go for it. We talked about, you know, all the – we got all our – our misgivings about his personality out of the way pretty quickly. So you can do the same. Yes. Yeah, you have so, to join us in making sure that this podcast actually hates LSU football. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So my, my first reaction when I saw it was God damn it. Um, but you know, then I thought about it a little bit and I'm actually in a weird way, kind of, I don't want to say psyched or excited, but, I just I go back to the Matt Muscona point that he's made several times. A lot of people brought up Brian Kelly won a lot of games at Notre Dame, and it's hard to win football games at Notre Dame with all the academic requirements and how he has to recruit and things like that. Now the handcuffs are off, and I I, I think this can work out from a he's going to win a lot of game standpoint. Do I have to like the man? No, I don't have to like the guy. I'm probably never going to like him, but I, I don't watch LSU football to like the coach. I watch LSU football to see them compete for championships and hopefully win championships. And that's kind of where, where I am with Brian Kelly, the head coach. Now, as for the staff, it's just about finalized. Uh, three hours ago from various people, Shay Dixon, Wilson Alexander, um, we have almost the entire 2022 football staff with their titles and positions assigned. We have uh, – Mike Denbrock, the offensive coordinator, tight ends coach officially. Frank Wilson, running backs coach. Brad Davis, offensive line. Uh, Joe Sloan, quarterback coach. Matt House, DC and linebacker coach. Jamar Kane, defensive line coach. Run game coordinator. I still don't know if that means like offensive run game coordinator or defensive run game coordinator, but that's for defensive. Defensive, okay. Um, I'm blanking on Coach Steeple's first name. I'm sorry, but he's the cornerbacks coach. Uh, I believe Kerry Cooks is his first name. He's the safeties coach. And Brian Pullian is the special teams coordinator. Uh, Frank Wilson is also associate head coach. Brian Pullian is recruiting coordinator. Max, I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on the staff as a whole and where you hopefully think Kelly will go for the wide receiver coach. And I cede the floor to you. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, altogether, it's a pretty good staff. Like, I think the best um, hire among them being uh, Kane at D-line coach. Like, he turned Oklahoma into, you know, sort of a D-line factory in the last couple of years. Uh, you look at guys like um, Perrion Winfrey, Jalen Redmond, Nick Benito. Well, he was technically an outside linebacker, but, you know, whatever. Um, guys like that, like, they've they've done real work on the defensive line. Uh, it's You know, it's not his fault. The defensive backfield is just atrocious, but, like um, – like they had one of the better D lines in the country in the last couple of years at Oklahoma, which is a place that hasn't really been recruiting defense. Um, so like outside of there, so he's, he's great. Like he's one of the most well-regarded, you know, D line coaches in the country. Um, Robert Steeples uh, is a wildly successful high school coach who rose to, you know, sort of an NFL uh, position uh, really quickly. He's uh young, energetic and is like, Real, just seems to be hyper competent, so I like that. Um, and he's the kind of guy that would be, that would be a really good recruiter because, like, one, I mean, he knows high school football because uh, he coached it wildly successfully after his NFL career, um, you know, and all that. Like, uh, so he's good. Um, Matt House at DC, like, I've been taking a really deep dive into what he did at Kentucky, uh, and I like it uh, for the most part. Uh, it's it's pretty good. Um, like, it's a really solid, well-schemed defense. Uh, it's not super flashy, but it's just really sound. Um, I'm doing a pretty in-depth breakdown of that. 
coming up. Like I'm read, working on that right now. Uh, read the site. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's in the draft, so that's uh, coming down the pipe soon. Um, so I, I like that. Uh, I don't like the OC hire. Uh, granted, I haven't taken a deep dive into Cincinnati tape yet, uh, and I understand the results are pretty good, but like, I mean. Just the game he called. I, I have watched the All-22 of their game against Georgia last year, uh, and I thought it was pretty brutal. Uh, granted, you know, it was Georgia, but, like, it's it, it, it's it's just such a spread out, you know, quick gamey offense, which, you know, I, I really wanted to leave in the past. Um, but, you know, there's it's hard to deny the results that he had at Cincinnati um, and the way he developed Desmond Ritter, who was legitimately awful, like, a couple years ago. And over the past couple of years has morphed into a really, really solid college quarterback. Um, so there's that. Like, that's pretty good. Uh, I don't know anything about the quarterback's coach. Um, and as Apparently for he's like, quite good at his job. Who is? Sloan. Apparently he's oh, got yeah, a no, he's, yeah, he's well regarded. So, like, I'll trust other people on that one. I think that one's a pretty good hire. He's also got a lot of Louisiana ties. Like, there's a lot of – like, Kelly's done a good job of getting guys – on staff who will know how to recruit Louisiana at a high level, including retaining Brad Davis, which I thought was a good move because he never got a chance. Um, and he's super well-regarded. So you don't want to let him go without giving him a fair shake. Uh, so like he, so I think like the, the big concern about Brian Kelly, not being somebody who can, you know, adjust to Louisiana and recruit Louisiana. I think you have to be pretty encouraged by the kind of guys he brought into place to do that. Because he's got, like, I mean, come on. Nobody's got better Louisiana recruiting bona fides than Frank Wilson. Like, he is yep. the man. Um, and and so that was that was a retention I'm super excited about. I'm surprised he's not recruiting coordinator, but, like, you got to believe he's going to do a ton of it. Um, but, like, all things considered, it's a good staff. It's a very solid staff. I just wish, like, he, I just, he just made such a Brian Kelly OC hire in that it's like, ugh. I guess like it'll work with players like it'll work if you have really good players and you really develop well at receiver because that's the only way you can still run a really spread out offense is if your receivers are so good that they're just winning a bunch of one V ones and generating separation sort of on their own because like, you know, when you're in more condensed sets, you can kind of, you know, condensed sets, bunches, you know, that kind of stuff you can sort of, you know, manufacture releases and manufacture separation to have routes kind of play off each other. Um, which sort of leads me to where they're looking at receiver, at receiver coach. Uh, they're supposed to, like, from the reports I've seen, they're looking at Georgia's receiver coach, Cortez Hankton. Uh, he's awesome. He's awesome. Like, and if I hope they would make him pass game coordinator, and I hope that's not an empty title. Like, I hope they legitimately give him, like, a Joe Brady-style role in crafting the scheme because, George, like, you know, full man here. I doubted it in the offseason, but Georgia's offense is awesome, uh, at least schematically. Um, like there are there, I do, I, you know, I, I wish they did a little bit more in the RPO game, but like whatever. Like they're the stuff they do out of bunches uh, and condensed sets and in the play action game is really really good. They're great at generating explosives. So like I hope Cortez Hankton, if he's hired, crossing my fingers because he's again awesome. He's a good recruiter, all that stuff. Like, if he's hired, he can kind of uh, help Denbrock along a little bit in in sort of bringing a lot of that Georgia stuff in, and I think that could be really successful. Uh, so that's 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 really how I hope the staff gets finished. Yeah, most most critically with Hankton, if it is indeed Hankton, uh, he's a New Orleans man. He's uh, he's a Saint Aug grad, and he's and he's still a young guy. So that's another um, another. Right, potentially exactly. like ace recruiter for Brian Kelly and his staff. I, I I think the whole well, Kelly's not a Louisiana guy. How's he going to mesh into the culture? I think that's really kind of overblown. I mean, what what does Nick Saban have to do with like the save Alabama and their culture? What did Nick Saban have to do with LSU and Louisiana culture when he was here in the two thousands? I, yeah, I think that's is, all you overblown. know. Bo Schembechler Jr. have to do with Louisiana culture too. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, like Les Miles was <laughs> Michigan to the bone forever. Like. He's he's not, he was never a culture fit. Well, he sort of was because he was just such a wacky guy. But like Nick Saban certainly is not an LSU culture fit. Um, but like the thing about culture is like culture is 
very internal. Um, and culture comes from winning. Like culture is, you know, you get culture by, win, uh, by winning games and you win games by getting good players and coaches. Like it's, you know, it's, it, 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 I don't want to say it's not that hard, but it's not really that complicated. Like you get good players, you get good coaches. Let me ask you one thing about Denbrock. Um, we see we've seen people ask this question a lot on all sorts of platforms. How do you, as someone who I know you haven't really done the deepest of dives just yet on Cincinnati and the Denbrock era, but how do you go about separating the the caliber of athletes Denbrock has to work with, like it, like in that Peach Bowl against Georgia last year, and like and people point to this year's Cod Bowl against Alabama. Well. Yeah, scheme wise, it could be one thing, but don't you also like if you only have certain ingredients, you can't make the best type of desserts and foods with what you have to work with, right? How do you, how do you, how do you separate the two? You know, it, it, that's that's a good point. Like, but at the same time, uh, most of their games they're playing with superior talent because uh, like they've done a good job recruiting, um, and they're playing in the AAC, so most of the time they're just beating the crap out of people um, by being way more talented. Uh, as for like the Georgia game and the Alabama game, like you just you can't call like it. The thing that you look for is whether or not they're calling the game like their team is as talented. And if you're really spreading things out uh, and having your guys go try to win one on ones, you're calling the game like your team is talented. Like this has been my this was sort of my problem with Jake Pete's like one of my many problems with Jake Pete's like the whole time is that like the offense is so spread out that like and you don't you know you're not really having routes play off each other and put people in conflict um, in that, like, you're not calling an offense like your team, you know, doesn't have, like, you're calling an offense like you have freaks out there. Um, so you can, there are ways to tell. Like, if you're really spread out and you're just throwing go balls down the sideline, like, you think your player, like, that's the way Clemson kind of calls their offense. They call their offense like they have T. Higgins and Justin Ross. Uh, and when they don't, it's really not pretty. Um so like there are there are a lot of ways to tell, uh, and like, it's it, it's it, there aren't really ways to tell when you're looking at production, but when you look at tape, it kind of becomes clear. Do we have any? Uh, we I know we haven't talked about it on the podcast because the game obviously didn't happen. But is there any point in revisiting the Texas Bowl? No, no. Yeah, I, I like no. Uh, there's there's nothing to say. It, it's like. The Texas Bowl was like LSU playing blackjack where they only got one card every hand. Like, unless Kansas State busted every single hand, you're not going to win that game. Like, obviously, that's why you play the games. Anything can happen, all that bullshit. But LSU was not going to win that game. And that's okay. You know, that's that's fine. Should they have played it? I don't know. A lot of people say they shouldn't have. I, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. I don't think it really hurt the brand that much to play that game. Um, if the guys wanted to go play, if John Trey Kirkland wanted to go let it rip, I say go let him go, let him do that. I, I but there's nothing really to say on the field performance wise. Yeah, like who cares? I mean, like it's it's good, you know. Get Kansas State a little W, which they they, so, they overreacted to, but like you know. Yeah. So where? Uh, where so my question now? is: so my question is, if we had had John Trey Kirkland practice at quarterback all year, how much better would the season have been? That's what that's what my question is. Is I mean someone who just watched that game for the legend of John Trey Kirkland, which he I can throw. I know he can throw, but he also can't really make a read. <laughs> um which is why they didn't really throw the ball. It would have been worse. It would have been worse. Hey, he just needed uh, practice time, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like I wish it were that easy to make a guy a good quarterback, but like, man, it's not. All, all I'll say is he was making throws on January 4th that I don't think I've ever seen Max Johnson make. Yeah, but like, eh, I know, but like, I, I know, I know it feels that way, but like, he was sort of awful. Objectively. Well, for a receiver, he was great. But like, you know, eventually you don't want a receiver playing quarterback. Eventually. Uh, yeah, anyway, so like, now that like the the story the the book is closed on twenty twenty one and we're still obviously weeks away from spring ball in twenty twenty two, where where is this program heading? Because like when you see the news that like when like Dwight McLaughlin transfers out and Eli Ricks is transferred and Cordell Flott's gone pro along with Derek Singley Jr. Look and you go holy shit! Oh, she's only got two corners and yeah, they've got hardly any linebackers and 
offensive line still kind of a question mark. And yeah, Miles Brennan is back, but Miles Brennan's only played three games in six years. And is John Emery back? Who knows? And the receivers, yeah, they're good, but are you going to add anybody? Where are we going, Max? Uh, I mean, as far as I think next year is going to be rough. Like they have some gaping holes, and it's it like I, I just think people need to be ready for what a rebuild actually looks like. Uh, and LSU has never actually had to go through a rebuild in the last like twenty years. They've got they've gone through what rebuilds you know feel like. Uh, they've gone through seasons where they've had overturn and then gone eight and four, but that's not a real rebuild. That's you know just a dip. Like a real rebuild is when you have gaping holes in your roster and you're playing people, you know, before you think they're sort of ready. Um, and like the way to deal with that is like they like, you know, every time there's a transfer announced, I'm like, LSU should go get this guy because they should. Like every single like they need to be in on every single really talented transfer. Uh, and like, I you know, I like the guys they've gotten, like the guy from Arkansas, the safety and the corner from UL. Like that's great. Uh, and you shouldn't not get those guys, but like you need to be go get it, going and getting like Jaleel Billingsley from Alabama uh, or Drew Sanders from Alabama. The linebacker would be a big get. You need to get guys like Michael Trigg from USC, who is an LSU target as a recruit, the tight end. You need to go get like, I mean, you should have been in on Brandon Joseph, for instance. Like guys like that are the guys that are going to make next. Like you can't. You have to get guys like that that really change the way your team is, or else like next year, or else you're gonna have huge holes. And like there are gonna be guys that come out. There are still guys in the portal that are really good, and there are gonna be guys that come out after spring that are really good. But like you have to go get high end guys, and it may be tough because people don't want to spend like their last year of eligibility before they go to the pros, or you know their last planned year before they go to the pros, whatever, on a team that's a rebuild. So like I get it. You know, I totally get it. Uh, but at the same time, like, if that's going to be the case, then next year's going to be tough. And that's sort of okay. Like, if, if next year's tough and they go, like, five and seven and they pull in a really good recruiting class and then go get some guys in the portal next offseason and are able to sell people on the next steps of the program, things are going to get better quickly. But, like, you know, you look at Mel Tucker at Michigan State, and it's not this is not quite that level of rebuild. But, like, it was rough year one, and then it wasn't. Um, and I think, you know, you look at Florida, like I've praised Billy Napier up and down, you know, this off season, I praise the hire. I think he's building a death star of a staff. I think he's going to bring in, you know, top three classes soon, but like, and, and look, I, I think there's a real chance Billy Napier wins a national championship at Florida, but like, it's going to be tough next year. You know, it was even tough for Nick Saban year one at Alabama, like, People need to understand that LSU is probably not going to win nine games next year. And that's not realistic when you have those kind of holes in the roster. Like, unless they go get Jaleel Billingsley and Michael Trigg and then, like, some other and, like, a couple more guys on defense that are really good and get, like, Drew Sanders and some other guys that come out in the spring and, like, really stock up in the transfer portal, they're just, it's just not going to happen like that next year. Max, how do you know about the Death Star? You've never seen Star Wars. That's true. I've never seen Star Wars, but like the Death Star blows up. Oh, multiple well, we, times. Okay, so like before it blows up. <laughs> PK, how many Death Stars have we had? We've had three, four. I have lost count at this point. <laughs> okay, so like whatever, like industry. I don't know, like a Batmobile or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. Jokes like, on you, Florida. Yeah, Max, the Batmobile always blows up too. Jesus. Uh, okay, fine. Like, uh, Max, you're know. embarrassing us in front of the nerds. Okay, like, um, what doesn't blow up? Like, I don't know, like the Great Wall of China or something. That's that's still up. Steel beams can't be multiplied by fuel. Um, <laughs> uh oh, that's gonna have to. That might be. Uh oh, that's gonna. It's gonna get us in trouble. Can we do? Because maybe maybe you're talking to me when you say LSU fans. Like I, I I just can't wrap my mind around the whole the whole five and seven thing. So I'm, I'm looking at the schedule now, uh, and obviously so much is going to change. There's going to be so many more additions via the portal, via recruiting, declarations for the NFL, injuries. We we can't really foresee anything. But 
You open the season in New Orleans against Florida State. Probably a win. Well, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, we like the whole, like, thing we're used to about saying, oh, that's probably a win against a Power 5 opponent with talent. Like, that's no longer really the case, at least for next year. Like, LSU has gigantic holes on the roster. They could easily go 4-8 and eight next year. If they if they don't like really load up in the portal, it could be ugly. Like oh, like nice the, the thing is, like, I mean, so many of the players that were good this year, Damone Clark, Neil Farrell, like uh, Dwight McLaughlin, um, Micah Baskerville was solid. Like those guys are gone now, and like they haven't stocked up behind it because like, you know maybe look maybe the twenty twenty one class comes through, but like. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's not like you need to stock up multiple classes, you know, multiple high-end classes to reload. And LSU has not done that. Their best player from a couple classes ago was their kicker. And he's gone, which it sucks because he's a kicker. And Go get that bread, Cade. I know, but he's a kicker. Go get that bread. Um, Max, how can, and not to like spoil your, your piece coming up, about uh matt house but with so many like deficiencies and like having like no corners to work with and a gaping hole at linebacker and defensive tackle how can how can he kind of scheme his way to an okay ish defense i mean you sort of in a way you sort of can't like if, if you really really don't have the players you're you're gonna be bad like no pretty much no matter what you do but like if you're gonna do it like the way he sort of did things at kentucky which is just a super zone heavy, too high heavy. Although the problem is you might really get run on um, in that case. Although I do think the LSU defensive line is kind of good. Like Jaqueline Roy is really good. Um, Mason Smith is ridiculously good uh, if he can stay healthy. Uh, Jacoby and Guillory is like fine. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth, but like they need to go get some. Uh, and if they get a couple guys in the portal, I think that should be okay. But, like, man, they need linebackers or else, like, it's going to be a problem um, no matter what you do. But, like, if you're really going to account for deficiencies, like, you can't be playing a ton of man coverage. And they, they he, he did in that Kentucky. Like, it was a super zone-heavy defense. They played a lot of quarters, a lot of softer kind of coverages that force you underneath um, and sort of make you a little bit inefficient, um, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's sort of how you would scheme around a talent deficiency I think, like, the one thing I would love him to do a little bit more of is, you know, exotic pressure looks um, and pressures in general. Like, they'll do, you know, some simulated pressures and creepers, which I'll write about, that are good. But, like, I just I, – I sort of wish that, like, he brought in a little bit more of the exotic simulated pressures that defenses like Georgia runs. And, look, maybe he has. It's been, what, four years since he ran a college defense. But, like, uh, those are the kind of things that you do um, – I think you look at Wisconsin, although, I mean, they play a lot of man coverage. So, like, that wouldn't really work in the SEC um, with these players. But, like, the, the things they do, the things he does, I think are good. Like, he was he was at Kentucky. So, like, it's not like he was coaching, you know, he wasn't, Stoops wasn't bringing in top, you know, high-end classes really yet, like he did this year. So, like, I, the things they do. Um, but in the end, there's not a lot you can do around huge talent deficiencies. Like you have to have players or you can't do anything. Were you surprised that um, Kelly didn't keep Durante Jones? No, I was not surprised by that. Like I like Durante Jones and I think he deserves another job somewhere, but like I totally get like Kelly not wanting to bank on a half season um, where he didn't do a ton of different things. And I get that like, he he did he did a lot of good things, but like it wasn't like it wasn't like oh yeah no I'm definitely gonna hitch my wagon to this, which I I get and I certainly get wanting to bring in your own guy. It's also clear that Kelly had a direction he wanted to go in, uh, which was the Kentucky defense because he pursued Brad White, um, who was promoted after House left, uh, mm-hmm. and it's pretty and pretty much running the same system that House ran. So like there it's clear he had something in mind. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised really either that Durante wasn't kept. I will say you don't give Kelly a hundred million dollars or whatever it is, ninety-five in ten years, and preface it by saying, Okay, we're gonna give you all this money, all this time, 
but you have to keep X, Y, and Z. He, he has full reign to hire and fire whomever he pleases. That's why he got rid of Tommy Moffitt. That's why uh, Austin Thomas is gone. That's why Corey Raymond is gone. But I will say in defense of Durante Jones, um, I'm, I'm, the only thing that surprises me is I just I see what he did to close out the uh, the 2021 season and like the way he kind of kind of ruined not ruined but wreaked havoc against Alabama. You know, I yeah, I mean, game. like you look at that and, game, um, he held them to 302 yards, I believe, something like that, and they had Jamison Williams and John Mechie. Like, yeah. we saw what those guys did to Georgia when they had everyone. Um, and, like, honestly, they probably win the national championship if they have Jameson Williams and John Mechie. And yet LSU shut them down with everyone, and that's so impressive. But, uh, you know, I just, I just wonder, like, I, I think what I'm saying is I think Durante Jones made just as good of a case to stay as Brad Davis did, and I'm just kind of curious why one got to stay and one didn't. I guess maybe – just the Brad Davis being a Louisiana guy. That, that was like the, if I have to keep one, I'm going to keep the the guy at the local tie-ins. I, that's all thing I can think of. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe that and like, I mean, Brad Davis, maybe. like Durante Jones never got a chance either, but like, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I it, it's possible that like Brian Kelly's like, yeah, I, I have the exact defense I sort of want to run. And it's sort of not, you know, what, like, I'm sure he talked to Durante Jones. Like, I'm sure he kind of vetted him a little bit. But, like, yeah, I mean, he may have just wanted to go in a different direction and but happened to really like Brad Davis particularly. Like, it, it, you know, who knows? Yeah, and like I said, he, he has every right in the world to hire the staff that he wants. He, he's getting paid the GDP of a small country to rebuild the program. And, and like you've said, like a lot of people said, this is a, this is a full-fledged rebuild, and it's going to probably suck in 2022 – May not suck as much in 23, and hopefully LSU's back by 24 or 25. Um, but this is this is a total teardown. There, there are some good foundational pieces. You know, look at like like a Jack Besh, a Malik Neighbors, uh, Mason Smith, um, getting Butte and Brennan back to stay. That's that's big. Yeah, but um, Butte's totally gone after next year. Yeah, but that, and that's fine. He, he can be the foundation piece, and you just build off of that. Um, I do like that you point out, you know, LSU's never had problems getting receivers ever, like ever, 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 because of that's just what we produce in Louisiana. Right. But uh, you really need to start getting some receivers because these young guys that we're so hyped about, they're not going to stay young forever. I mean, this is this is year two now. And some of these guys are probably going to go after year three. So, you know, start stockpiling. Yeah, no, I, you I, I really – yeah, continue. Yeah, go for it. I was going to say the point that you've made a lot receivers kind of like the most valuable position in football besides quarterback. Now it, it is, it totally is. At least in college, like you look at what Ohio state's able to do and being so spread out and, you know, drop back heavy the way they are like just straight drop back, have your receivers go kill somebody one-on-one, get them the ball. Like it's, it's ridiculous what you can do with those receivers. Um, like it, they are like having two Elite receivers is almost required to really have an elite offense nowadays, um, and like, it's I mean it's it just allows you to do so much, and it's it, it it's unbelievable like what you can do with that and what you're allowed to do as an offense with that. Um, it, it's also sort of this like a you know lesser degree of the same thing with tight ends as we saw with Georgia like that allowed him to do a whole bunch. Uh, of like you know spread out kind of passing from condensed to tight end sets which forces a bunch of mismatches but like receiver is in my opinion the second most valuable position group in college football like it's you have to be great at receiver and you know that's where Cortez Hankton comes in because he's such a great recruiter Louisiana guy Louisiana produces uh, receivers like that should be fine Uh, and if it's not there are real problems but like yeah you gotta you gotta get like I think you gotta get three four receivers in a class um, and you've got to go hard after the top talents because they do have a high hit rate. Uh, receivers have a high translation rate to the next level. See that in college to the NFL as well. Like you look at the top guys in every draft, like they tend to pan out. Uh, like Jamar Chase is obviously fantastic. Jalen Waddle's fantastic. Devontae Smith is really good. Um, the year before, uh, CeeDee Lamb is really good. Uh, well, Henry Ruggs, you know. 
you know. Justin Jefferson. Yeah, well, Justin Jefferson's fantastic, obviously. One of the best receivers in the NFL period. Uh, Henry Ruggs was kind of good. Uh, he was becoming good until he drove uh, irresponsibly. Uh, um, yeah. 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 But other than that, like, C.D. Lamb is superb. Um, like, these guys pan out. So, like, if you can go get the top guys at receiver, that talent's going to translate, and it just unlocks. Like, you can run Mike Denbrock's offense. If you have three, two, three elite receivers and a good quarterback and you run Mike Denbrock's offense, you're going to score a ton of points, even though I don't think it's that great of an offense uh, because you have those guys, and they just can't be covered. Do you think any other of the non-Bute receivers are, you, you would call elites? I know we're big Jack Besh fans and big Neighbors fans, and we like the potential of like Thomas and Hilton and those guys. Are any of them elite, or is it just too early to tell right no, now? No, they're not even they're they're not they're not there yet. Uh, that's not to say they can't become that. Um, I I don't know if Jack Besh necessarily has the raw athleticism to ever be like a superstar outside like game breaking receiver, but he could be a really really effective slot guy. But like Brian Thomas Jr. does, Chris Hilton certainly does. Like he's an insane athlete. Malik <laughs> he Neighbors can fly. certainly does. Uh, yeah, he's such a burner. That dude um, can run. So like if they really, you know, coach them up and develop them well, like, man, those guys are, are going to pan out, I think, in a major way. Um, but, like, they're, I, I, like the thing about Keishon Boutte and the reason he's so good is he was a five-star. Like, yeah. he was a five-star recruit. You got to go get – I mean, look, I, I'm a huge believer in stars. Like, you got to go get five stars everywhere, but you have to go get him at receiver and you have to get him at quarterback and you have to get him on the offensive line. Uh, and if you do that, you're going to compete for championships. You just are. Like, but you got, like, it's all about the stars, man. And that's, that. That's above all, that's why Keishon Butte is so damn good. Like, uh, especially at receiver because of that, you know, hit rate. Like, quarterbacks bust all the time. All the time. Uh, in the NFL draft, uh, in recruiting. Like, I mean, remember that year when Keller Christ Max, like, Keller Christ was the number one recruit in the class. Max Brown was. Kyle Allen. Like, quarterbacks bust all the time. But receivers sort of don't. I have no idea who Keller Christ is. Exactly. Like, he was. He went to Stanford. Uh, he's, he sounds like a uh, the kind of, uh, you know, quarterback from a Disney movie. Like, oh, that's Keller Christ. He's the senior quarterback, and he's not very nice to the main character. Um, but, like... Yeah, like those he guys. He sounds like the Keller Chris sounds like the name of like the alcoholic lawyer and like the latest Grisham novel who's the asshole to the protagonist. Yeah, I mean, we're a. I'm sure he's a good guy, but he was not good. He was um, not... To your point, though, about stars and receiving and recruiting, I, I don't think it's a big deal this year because, again, of what you have to work with on the roster. But LSU's only got one receiver in the class, and it's Landon Ibieta, a kid from Mandeville, and he's only like a three-star kid. Um, yeah, that's bad. Again, that's that's fine for a year because you've got four underclassmen receivers who look like they're all going to be studs. But roster, roster management is what's going to be imperative, and that's that's why Coach O's not here anymore. Right. That, How that does LSU not have any – I mean, LSU went into 20, 2019 with a very real chance that you're going to lose Jacob Phillips and uh, Patrick Queen and Caleb on Chason and Divinity for sure and did a pretty piss-poor job of stockpiling talent. We're seeing it in the secondary. Um, it's great that you came into 2021 with uh, Derek Stingley and Elias Ricks. What would you do to refill the, the cupboard with? One kid from Acadiana, that's – that's why you're not coached anymore, Ed. That's why yeah, you're gone. It really, it's true. Like it, it's roster management, roster management, and and really, really bad assistant hires um, that really did him in. Like, I mean, the one, the two things that he was supposed to do, like stockpile talent and hire assistants. Um, so, like you know, the terms of the contract were, or at least the spirit of the agreement were very not fulfilled at that point. So, like. Yeah, that's why he's not coaching here, and that's what Brian Kelly's supposed to do. Like he's supposed to recruit at, like he can at, he can at least recruit well. And Louisiana and LSU recruits itself a little bit, but like, you know, Brian Kelly I think can recruit fine here. Uh, like he could probably bring in top five classes, but like, 
you gotta you gotta you gotta stockpile multiple classes that sort of pan out. Like that's how you actually refill talent. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that's why he's not here. And, and the first the first class of every coach and change is always gonna be the worst class. So just people need to be chill whenever they see LSU with like a. I think they're like number 18 or something on 247. And yeah, that's even really, good that's not that bad class. for a first class. Um, but right. it's, like, it's like, to your point, okay, you get your one, you just grit your teeth, get through it. What about 2022? What, or I guess that was 22. What about 23, 24 and beyond? How do you stockpile after that? And here's the secret, guys. Louisiana's fucking loaded with talent every single year. You can, obviously you have to do more than just recruit the state of Louisiana. You have to go outside the borders. But you can get a top 10 class just by throwing a stone in any direction outside of campus, you know, just go to New Orleans, go to Lafayette, go up North. Uh, And with Sloan, you can maybe get like the catcher claws now that you have like a known presence in North Louisiana, but you will have to go outside the borders. You'll have to win those fights with Texas and A&M and for the kids in Texas, you have to go to Florida, you have to go to Georgia. You have to, you'll have to win some battles. And I do think with Kelly's experience of having to go outside the state of Indiana so yeah, many times, yeah, exactly. He's got a lot that's going to pay dividends. Yeah, that's going to pay dividends down the road. Like, I think you need a, a California quarterback pipeline too. Like, you need to go recruit to California schools for quarterbacks. Like, because that's where the like you look at the best quarterbacks in the country right now, at least this year: C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, uh, California kids. Um, and like the whole like thing is all oh, why aren't these kids at USC? I mean they're about to go to USC, but like, yeah. um, yeah, like you gotta you gotta have a California quarterback pipeline too. And uh, t- uh, Brian Kelly went you know went out last year and got Tyler Buckner from La Jolla, California, I believe. Let me check for sure. He is from East. Yeah, he's from San Diego, which I I don't know. I don't know California, but like, uh, yeah, like. He, I love that kid. So like that's a that was a great recruit for Brian Kelly, a guy I think is going to be a real star there. So like that's the kind of guy you need to go bring to LSU. Um, and you know you can't just you can't just get guys like Walker Howard in state because Louisiana is not going to produce a lot of quarterbacks. Uh, and you need to go to the Midwest for offensive linemen. Um, which you know look Kelly if Kelly can do anything it's go to the Midwest for offensive linemen. Uh, so you better do that. Just uh, just look at look at the guys playing on Sundays across offensive lines. A lot of those dudes went to Notre Dame. Kelly right. recruited a lot of those guys. Quentin Nelson, uh, Ronnie Stanley, uh, is it McGlin- McGlinchey? Yeah, Mike how do you say McGlinchey. it? At San Francisco, that's what Even I'm excited Mike about. Yeah, there are a ton. Like, think about how much how nice it would be to have Quentin Nelson at LSU right now. Yeah, I mean that guy's that's, a top five player in the NFL. Like. You want that? That's that's hopefully what we're starting to get this this cycle with you know Will Campbell and Emory Jones, um, but you know, that's going to take time. You know, if you, if you're counting on Will Campbell saving your line in 2022 and Emory Jones anchoring the line in 2022, you're fucked. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, not next year. What What are your thoughts on the line? Uh, it's I mean it's it's really bad. Uh, like Will Campbell is a freak, and I think he's going to be a first round pick. But like, he's a freshman. Emory Jones is solid. He's a freshman. Like the way the the job they've done developing offensive linemen in the last like four years has been atrocious, excluding twenty nineteen when they did a pretty good job. But like, I mean, it's it's gonna it, it, you're not gonna fix that in a year. You're just not. Um, even with Miles Frazier is a good transfer. Uh, I could really see it being good in two years though. Like I could see it being a real strength if Jones and Campbell pan out. Um. Like at that point, like especially Campbell, like I, there's a lot riding on that guy at this point. But I think uh, it could be a real strength in two years. Um, but next year, I mean, it, I, I think it'll be better because it can't be worse. But like, actually, it probably can be. It can always be worse. But like, uh, I think it'll be a little better uh, with some continuity in coaching. Uh, and I assume, I, I bet they're going to get another transfer on it. Uh, out of spring probably, but like, yeah, like it, it's, it's still a weakness. Like LSU has more weaknesses than they have strengths right now. 
See, I'm actually kind of weirdly bullish about the offensive line. And it's, this is probably just me not being as sharp of a football mind as you and some of the other people out there. But, I mean, I look at, you know, Miles Frazier's a, Miles Frazier's a big get. Uh, and you can anchor one of your tackle spots. You're probably keeping Cameron Wire. So I think that's right. That right there, it's a it's a decent tackle tandem. And then it is. we saw some good like, stuff Cameron out Wire of Anthony Bradford. We, we saw good stuff out of Anthony Bradford. And Xavier Hill played pretty well. Marlon Martinez, Martinez, excuse me, came in some tough spots. He played well. Center is a little dicey. Um, I, I, I don't mean to, to crap on the kid, but. I, I can't I can't do another year Charles Turner at center. I, yeah, I can't either. I can't do no. that anymore. No, they um, got to get a transfer at center. But I, I don't know. I think the important thing with the line is you've got options. You you can kind of figure something out. Thankfully, because there was a couple of years ago where else you didn't really have like I mean hell even look at the bowl game and where uh, I think Martinez was the left tackle two, left guard two, right guard two, and center two. You know like. They they had nothing to work with. Yeah, they so didn't. The have fact players. that you have the fact that you have bodies, it just th- that's that's kind of I think the biggest point with this whole thing with Kelly in twenty twenty two, going into a bowl game with thirty eight, thirty nine players, whatever it was, is just inexcusable, and you you just have to get as close to eighty five as, as you can. You're just you just can't compete with. The, the the 40 and obviously they're not gonna have 40 guys come september whatever against florida state that's not gonna be the case but i mean hell remember the end of like the 2020 season where lsu is rolling out 50 guys against florida or whatever or old miss and you're like how how's this how's this game happening they had less against kansas state yeah that was i remember thinking it was basically rock bottom roster wise against florida that uh in 2020 and then they won um, and ruined their entire season <laughs> and basically yeah, and basically destroyed Dan Mullen. Um, like, because up until that point, he was basically like regarded as one of the, you know, oh, he's going to win a national championship in Florida. And they lost that game, and it, it's it just, oh, my God. I still don't think they should have fired him. But, like. So fast. Like, I mean, he just didn't recruit. And, like, you got to, you just, you got to recruit. Like. I don't care if you like, you got to do, you obviously got to coach, but like recruiting is your number one job. It just is. Max, can you grant me a couple minutes to riff about LSU basketball tonight? Yes. They, they, they had a big yeah. win against Florida. Yeah. Mass, massive win. Um, probably the biggest win of the season. We, we started recording this like mere minutes after LSU wrapped up a six point win over Florida, 64, 58. LSU now is fifteen and one, I believe, on the season, or fourteen and one. Um, they're they're keeping pace with Auburn, and and that's going to be massive. I don't think they're going to catch Auburn in the standings, not with them having the tiebreaker, but they can get a top four seed at the rate they're playing for the SEC tournament. Get that double bye. That's going to be critical. Um, I think it's their best win of the season. Xavier Penson was not on the floor tonight where he traveled, but didn't play because of that really scary looking knee injury he had against Tennessee where um, I, I was at work, but we have TVs on at work and I didn't actually see the slip happen, but I looked down and as soon as I look back up, I see Pinson grabbing, it looks like both of his knees and you're thinking, Oh no, you, because with, with the Adam Miller injury, they've been able to navigate this. Okay. But you, you can't lose both of them. You can't lose your senior ball handler that's just that's too big of a blow um but else survived tonight without pinson tari eason fouled out in like five minutes really questionable officiate officiating and i'm being very very kind with that um lsu was called for 21 fouls florida was called for 10 i mean home cooking i i guess but that was tough especially not only did Tari Eason foul out, but Efton Reed fouled out, and Florida's got like a 6'11", legit 7-foot center, Colin Castleton, and you're like, okay, so I guess LSU's going to have to guard him with fucking Milwaukee Wilkinson or some shit. But uh, LSU never trailed in this game, and that, I think that's to go on the road without your best player or your, your best ball handler, lose your best player, lose your other big man, and still survive and went or lead the entire time. Massive win. 
Um, the defense showed out once again, held Florida to um, 36% for the floor, 22% for the line, and Florida couldn't make their free throws. You know, they get they had they had the officiating in their pocket and went 11 from 22 at the line and lost by six. That's that's called ball don't lie, kids. So massive win by the Tigers. You get to come home Saturday afternoon against Arkansas. Arkansas is kind of desperate. They're I think they're one and two or zero and three in SEC play. They're they're beating Missouri right now. So maybe some of that sense of like desperation goes away. But um, Arkansas is going to be a tough out. The whole, the biggest point of LSU's schedule coming into this year, you look when LSU had like six ranked opponents in seven games. They've navigated this pretty well. Yeah, you lost to Auburn, but you beat Kentucky, you beat Tennessee. Florida fell out of the rankings, but you win at Florida on the road. If LSU could have gone four and three over those seven games, you're in a great spot. You're already three and one. And you get Arkansas at home. Now you got to go to Alabama and Tennessee next week. Those are going to be tough. If you can split those, great. But I don't know how much you guys are watching LSU basketball. You should be. But I am so pleased with where this program is right now. Just I can't say enough good things about what this team especially has done. Yeah, Will Wade sort of shoves, doesn't he? That guy kind of rules. Yeah, he's kind of a a gangster with a, of American descent. An American gangster, if you will. Ah, too bad they uh, retired that. John Rothstein. That coward John Rothstein won't say it anymore. Yeah, the NCAA told him to cut it out. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Um, What else haven't we touched on, Matt? It's, like I said, it's been a while since we've been on. So I feel like we've covered everything, but did we miss anything? Uh, I don't know. Like, Bengals are good. Uh, We should all be watching the Bengals right now. Yeah. Um. Um. Joe Burrow's in the playoffs. Like, our boy's Burrow's playing in the playoffs. In the playoff. uh, Chase, is, Chase is rookie of the year, right? Mac yeah, Jones. Oh, my God. He better be. It, like, it, would be. it would be a travesty and a half to give it to Mac Jones. Like, a rookie quarterback that made the playoffs should be a shoe in for rookie of the year, too. Like, uh, but like, Jamar Chase has just been like a top three receiver in football this year. Uh, like, I mean, it, funny. Funnily enough, he's still been worse than Justin Jefferson, but like, uh, who uh, honestly, I have a conspiracy theory that Justin Jefferson was a better receiver the whole time. Um, really? and what? yeah. And the only reason they played him in the slot is because he was like the most suited for it. Like you can't not play Jamar chase on the outside because like, if you try to press him, he's going to kill you. He's going to murder you at the line. He's going to bully the crap out of you because that's what he does. He's a bully. Like, and you know, like, you know, our our guy Seth was saying that on his podcast. Like, Jamar Chase is a bully. And, you know, that's the best way to sum it up. Like, that's what he is. He is the mean kid who is going to assault you for your lunch money at the line and score a touchdown. So, you can't, what, are you going to do, not play him on the outside? Like, you have to because you can't press him. And you want teams to try to press him. Like, you want them to try to have Trevon Diggs in his face and, you know, get embarrassed like he is now in the NFL because he's bad. Um, uh, Like... He's bad. He's not good. I don't care if he has 11 picks. Um, but, like, you know, and you can't play Terrace Marshall really in the slot. Like, they did in 2020, and it was fine. But, like, come on, he's 6'3", like 210. Like, you got to play him on the outside. Who are you going to put in the slot? You know, the really, like, twitchy, technical, um, you know, like, separate, like, middle of the field, separation generator, route runner technique guy. You're going to put Justin Jefferson there. Now, as it turns out, Justin Jefferson moving to the outside, you know, he's got 4-4 four, four speed. He's, what, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, like 200, upwards of 200, so he's got great size. Turns out he's dominant at the catch point because of his length and his, you know, size. Uh, he's an elite technician. He's a great athlete. He's explosive. Like, he doesn't have any weaknesses. He can do everything. Like, he's very much, like, almost like a, a you know, devil. Devonte Adams type in that he can just do everything and play everywhere and run every single route. And Jamar Chase kind of can't like Jamar Chase can run a lot of routes, but like you're like, you're, you don't really want him, you know, living in the middle of the field that much. Like you want him running, you know, go balls and hitches and slants and all that stuff that requires that strength and athleticism. But like Justin Jefferson is just more technical, I think. Uh, and honestly, like, he produced right along with Chase. 
and I just think like if he had played on the outside instead of Jamar Chase, I think he wins the Bletnikov. Um, like the Bletnikov is whoever plays X, whichever of those two played X in 2019. And honestly, I think what we're seeing in the NFL is Justin Jefferson is just a, I just think he's better at the position. Um, uh, I think that's in part because Jamar Chase has always just been so much more physically gifted than whoever he's playing. Um, that he just gets to go beat the crap out of people physically with size, strength, and speed. Whereas Jefferson, you know, he was a two star. So he really, uh, he's really done, he did a great job developing technique. That is my conspiracy theory that I've really been thinking about for the last couple, like, weeks. Um, I had to say it somewhere. I was thinking of writing a piece about it, but, like, I mean, I, I don't want to pit him against each other. <laughs> but, like, he, Justin Jefferson is so good. Like, it's unbelievable how good he is. And it's a shame he's not playing in the playoffs this year. Uh, or probably ever again because the Vikings are in hell. <laughs> Let's get him out of my, there. Let's get him to Cincinnati. Get him to Cincinnati. Oh, my God. I I want to say, could you imagine if Joe Burrow had Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson? But I don't have to because I saw it. It was fucking awesome. I know. We got to get him back together. Let's like yeah. we got somebody's got to bribe the league to like raise the cap and let the Bengals like sign them both and just lock them all up forever. Well, that would mean the Bengals would spend money and they don't like to. Do I know, that. I know, they don't do that. But like, like give up all your first round draft picks for like the next five years. Get Justin Jefferson, let him play out his rookie deal, then let him walk. Maybe after like a couple years of them playing together, because like my, honestly, uh, they favorite. would win a Super Bowl with that. They they really would. My, my favorite thing about Bengals Raiders on the little ESPN ticker throughout the Florida LSU game, it said Las Vegas seeking first playoff win since 2002. And people were like, wow, that's a long time. But wait a second. Here comes Cincinnati with a steel chair. They haven't won since 1991. So they've got the longest playoff streak. So there is a chance both of these teams could lose to each other. It's very possible. That's oh, what they do in the playoffs. Yeah, it's Bengals Raiders. Like they're going to lose to each other. Like, imagine if Joe Burrow in year two goes in and breaks that streak. Like, think of, like, all of the changing he's done. Like, like you think about, like, Joe Burrow is just, he's so special and so, like, so inevitable. Such an inevitable, unstoppable force that he just changes what's around him. Like, you look at other quarterbacks, right? Most quarterbacks go to terrible situations and are really talented and they just get ruined by him. But, like, he just fixes them. And, and look, credit to the front office, Right. T. Higgins was a great pick. Um, they've done, like, they've, you know, they did well drafting Jamar Chase, and that was not an easy decision because Panay Sewell was right there, um, and they needed a tackle. So that was, you know, that took some guts, and that was a great decision. So, like, they've done a good job surrounding him with talent. But, like, he's just, year two, he's got the Bengals in the playoffs. Like, two years after, like, what, they went, like, 1-15 or something? Like, they were awful, and they picked one overall. And, like, like, he just... And then you look at what he stepped into at LSU. Like, LSU was a quarterback wasteland for a decade, even though Danny Etling was solid. Um, solid quarterback. Good, but, I would say. Yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was fine. Like, it's for the readers. Yeah, he, he was fine. He was a good quarterback. But, like, I mean, LSU hadn't had a great quarterback since, like, Zach Mettenberger. Uh, and even that was sort of debatable because of how good Landry and Beckham were. Um, but, I mean, to succeed in that system, you have to be good. So he was good. I will, I'll die on that hill. But, like, at the same time, it was a quarterback wasteland. And Burrow steps in and, like, he changes it. You know, granted, he doesn't – he left. Um, and it fell apart after him. But, like, you know, he changed it while he was there. Like, he stepped into a situation where quarterbacks had gone to die. And he undid it. Granted, Les Miles was gone and all that. But that was not an easy offense to succeed in. Like, Joe Brady was running the Saints offense. Um and, like, you know, the offense drew Breeze runs, and he went and did it. Uh, he changed that, and he goes to the Bengals, and he may have them, you know, winning their first playoff game since 1991. That would be incredible. Uh, the one thing he could not, the unstoppable force of Joe Burrow could not do is Urban Meyer. <laughs> yeah. Ur- Urban Meyer's negative energy is so powerful that it counteracted Joe Burrow's transformational power. It took down Trevor Lawrence, though. Who? Oh, who did? Urban. Oh yeah, no, it took to, exactly like yeah. it. It well, maybe 
Well, well, yes, it did. If he had stayed, Trevor Lawrence would be a bus, um, which is a shame because Trevor Lawrence is as good as people think he is, uh, or at least he was as a prospect. Um, but yeah, like Urban Meyer. Remember when people were bringing him up for the LSU job? That was the worst like two weeks of my life. <laughs> I would ra- I would rather bring Le- I, well not less miles, but I'd rather like I'd rather bring like. No, absolutely not. That's the same, basically the same hire, <laughs> except without the success. Uh, I would rather bring back, like, I don't know, let's just give Kevin Steele a job or whatever instead of Urban Meyer. Uh, like, I was getting text messages that's like, oh, LSU's going to hire Urban, right? I'm like, no, no. I, they, You know, maybe, actually, but no. <laughs> Well, you know, like I, you know, Scott Woodward thought about it. He thought definitely yeah. thought about it. Yeah, Max, give us a give us a Super Bowl prediction, and then we'll and then we'll wrap. Uh, I think it's going to be the Bills. Okay, I don't yeah. know. I don't know who's coming out of the AFC. Like I don't know. I I, I think it's going to be the Bills though, because Josh Allen's playing pretty well at the right time. Uh, so I think it'll be the Bills, and. The Packers, like, which is it—it's it, such a feels like such a cop out to pick the Packers, but they're just so much better than anybody else in the NFL, I think, right now. And look, they could get you know, they could, you know, get the wrong end of variance and play a bad game and lose. But like, I don't think the Bucks are going to do it because you know they one receiver injury and they're just you know dead at receiver because Antonio Brown, uh, yeah, is you know, Antonio Brown. Um, and like, I, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Like th- I, this is the first like postseason, like early rounds I'm really excited for. Cause I think anything could kind of happen. Like there's just been so much parody in the NFL this year. Like, I mean the bills who are like, the, I think that, well, they're the three seed uh, or something, I think in the AFC, and they lost to the Jaguars with, when urban Meyer was there, like, they lost to Urban Meyer. Um, the Rams, you know, have bad losses. Uh, the Packers sort of don't, I don't think. Well, they, they got blown up by the Saints in week one, but, you know, week one doesn't count. Like, so, the Chief, like, the Chiefs got blown out by the Titans. The Chiefs aren't as invulnerable as they have been. It's like, this is the first NFL postseason in a few years that is really fun. And I think, like, and Joe Burrow's in it. Uh, but I think they're going to lose in the divisional. Yeah, I think uh, Magic Johnson put it best with the AFC, the NFC and AFC playoffs are going to be so exciting because anybody can win. I can't wait until next weekend. I think we all are Magic. I Magic Johnson said that? He tweeted that. Doesn't it doesn't he... Oh right, the baseball's in a lockdown. Yeah, he's bored. <laughs> he's so bored right now. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, "What am I I, 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 the team I own is not operating. Like, what the hell am I supposed to do? I guess I'm going to start watching football. Well, watch football and tweet my very uh, obvious thoughts about football. Yeah, um, right. Like, oh man, anybody can win. It's almost like all of these teams are NFL teams and have really good players and you know really good coaches and you know a better distribution of quarterbacks than pretty much ever uh i mean with justin herbert getting left out of the playoffs for big ben that sucks uh i can't believe i cannot believe they just did not tie that game i'm so mad america demanded the tie game it was, it was so awesome for those two minutes when it was going to happen i know um, and, uh, and then brandon staley blew it and i love brandon staley which sucks because it's hard to defend that one um, anyway, on that note, hopefully next time we're on the pod, LSU will have more good coaches and more good players to supplement a very, very barren roster. Um, other than that, guys, boot up, of course, because we're going to keep this thing rolling. The women play tomorrow night. Watch the women. Yeah, they're good, uh, too. Assuming this, comes out before, assuming this comes out before the women play tomorrow night. They also play Vanderbilt Sunday, I think, and LSU plays Arkansas Saturday. Um Hopefully next time we'll have the whole gang back for, fuck, I don't know, spring football preview or maybe some baseball stuff, maybe some gym stuff. Jim's back. Jim's um, cool. Jim's cool. Uh, they won. They won their opening meet. So good shit, ladies. Uh, anyway, 
Let's wrap this up. This will be it, guys. Go Tigers and boot up.